It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, did you watch any baseball over the weekend? The World Series has taken some strange twists and turns. Atlanta Braves getting out to a 3-1 to one lead, but last night the Astros coming back. So now they trail 3-2 to two going back to Houston for the last couple of games. The thing I want to talk about is, and this, uh, somebody wrote this in a sports column, if you live on the East Coast, the games just start too late. I mean, some of those games were ending, you know, 15 minutes after midnight. Now, if you have a job, it's hard to stay up. If you're a kid in school, it's hard to stay up, assuming your parents would let you stay up. And that means, you know, it's just kind of, here's the premier showcase event for Major League Baseball. And it ends so late. And I understand they have to start it later because the West Coast audience and all that. But I just think it's a bad decision. I mean, I can remember when some of the weekend baseball World Series games were played during the day. I guess you wouldn't do that now because you don't get the same ratings. Um, but I think they're alienating or losing out on the whole generation of fans who, you know, don't get to watch the eighth or ninth inning dramatics because they're fast asleep. Also, what was weird was the game where uh, the pitcher Ian Anderson was pulled after five innings while he was pitching a perfect game. A perfect game. And it's the new sort of data-driven science of baseball that, you know, um, you try to get four or five good innings out of the starters, and then you bring in, bring in your various uh, bullpen relievers. In fact, I read this morning that 63% of the pitches thrown in this World Series so far have been thrown by relievers. And so the days when, you know, a great pitcher, first of all, the days when a Don Larson could pitch a perfect game in the World Series in 1956 will never be repeated. They'll just yank the guy. If I'm on the mound and I haven't given up a single hit, a perfect game, no errors, and I get pulled, I'd be pretty pissed. I, I would throw a fit. That's why I'm not a Major League Baseball player. Uh, but the thinking is, you know, he's going to get tired. And then, you know, I guess they, the combination of Atlanta pitchers took the no-hitter into the eighth, as I recall. And there was a blue pit. Um, and also, you know, if a pitcher goes deep, seven, eight, nine innings, uh, how would he be coming back on three days rest later in the series? I mean, you know, these are difficult things for a manager to juggle. Also read in the Times yesterday, in the New York Times, that the National League is very close to adopting the DH rule, designated hitter. And I remember when this was hugely controversial back in 1973 when the American League said, okay, we're going to have a designated hitter because there's not enough offense and not enough runs in the game. And the traditionalists argue, well, you know, but the manager has to make a decision about whether to let, let the pitcher hit or take the pitcher out. The pitcher's doing well, but you need the run in this situation. What do you do? And I get all that. But baseball right now is too long, too slow, and too low scoring. Uh, so I guess the and it's just been a weird thing. Half a century, different rules for the National League and the American League. And then you see it in the World Series when you have to play, when you get to have a designated hitter when you're in the AL park and you don't get to do it. And pitchers who haven't pitched or haven't gone to the plate all year for the American League team suddenly have to bat when it's uh, their turn in the lineup. So a little bit of sports news to start things out. Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you had a chance to see media buzz. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Roblox. If you have kids, you undoubtedly are familiar with one of the most insanely 
popular game, video game sites. And uh, I have a young family member who's made me very aware of Roblox. There's a certain, a certain uh, addiction quality to it. Well, it went down for three days. And uh, this young person told me that there had been a promotion. Roblox was, uh, had partnered with Chipotle and was giving out free burritos. Uh, and the first 30,000 people would get free burritos. And then so many people went on the site that it crashed the site. But then it went on beyond the, after everybody got their burritos, or at least the number of people who could get the burritos. And Roblox later said, no, 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 it wasn't that at all. Uh, we just, we had a problem, we fixed it. You know, if you be down for three days, it means you lose a lot, a lot of money. Um, and I'm not sure I buy the Roblox explanation. I think they just don't want to point the finger at Chipotle. I think the burrito gate is very much needs to be investigated here. Um, on Friday, I did a story for Special Report, uh, and I've talked about this on the podcast for you loyal listeners, about the uh, anti-Biden chants, the F. Joe Biden chants that uh, have been breaking out at football games and have greeted him along with F. Joe Biden signs at some of his appearances, particularly there was a chant in Scranton. And in the process of doing that, I found that there's a conservative rapper, I mean, I didn't know this guy was, Bryson Gray, who made an anti-Biden video. He doesn't say F. Joe Biden in the video. In fact, he doesn't curse at all. Um, but he got banned by YouTube. He got banned by YouTube for including, and I, I got a comment from YouTube, that uh, it was medical misinformation, that he had the certain lyrics in there that suggested uh, that the pandemic isn't real and that vaccines don't work, which, of course, neither one is true. Um, what he did say was, let's go, Brandon. And, uh, you know, you, you probably, if you haven't been following this, it's like, what is this about? It's a euphemism for F. Biden because an NBC reporter at a NASCAR event made a colossal mistake and the child was chanting, chanting F. Biden. But actually, the reporter said it was, let's go, Brandon. Brandon Brown being one of the NASCAR drivers. Who's, so now anybody who wants to do it without using the F-bomb says that. Anyway. When YouTube banned this Bryson Gray video, it, it was like a gift from heaven. The thing surged in popularity. Lots and lots of people was tweeting about this every 10 minutes. And it shot up. There were two versions of it. Shot up to number one and number two on, YouTube, on iTunes. And Adele was knocked off. Adele's It's So Easy was knocked off. And Bryson Gray, and he's just bragging about this and, you know... And he claims that, you know, uh, as a conservative, there's a different standard on social media and on and on and on. But it was fascinating. This guy's wearing an Impeach Biden T-shirt and he's doing all the rap things and he's rapping about the media and Biden and everything. And this is one of the biggest hit he's ever had. Why? Because he was banned by YouTube. Uh, I also want to talk about the Lincoln Project stunt. Uh, this is a good time to talk about it because tomorrow is Election Day in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, latest polls show the previously obscure Republican Glenn Youngkin uh, a point or two ahead of former governor and former DNC chairman Terry McAuliffe. Um, this race shouldn't even be close. I mean, McAuliffe had been governor before, national reputation. Youngkin was an unknown guy. Um, and yet it is. And Democrats are very, very nervous about losing this race, as well they should be. And the fact of Joe Biden's unpopularity and the fact that Joe Biden hasn't been able to pass his domestic agenda, which I'll talk about in a moment, um, I think is affecting the Virginia race. The uh, all politics is local 
uh, adage may not apply here, especially when the territory in question is right across the Potomac River from the nation's capital. But the Lincoln Project, these are the anti-Trump Republicans who went out and they were, on, they were on TV all the time last year. They made these vicious ads against Donald Trump. They hate Donald Trump. Um, and they've had some problems of their own. It was revealed they paid themselves phenomenally high salaries. And one of the co-founders, John Weaver, used to work for John McCain, you know, was found to have used his position to sexually approach more than 20 young men, one of them a teenager. It just turned into an absolute mess. So they're back. And what do they do? They have this stunt where they hire uh, a half dozen guys bearing tiki torches to pose as white nationalists and go to a Yunkin event in Charlottesville, which of course was the site of the you know 2017 uh, violence and the famous Donald Trump, very good people on both sides. Um, and I don't, like, what were they thinking? This was the stupidest, most moronic thing I have ever heard of. Did they think that nobody was going to find out that these were imposters? And once they did find out, didn't they think that this would? I mean, that there was there's been a huge backlash to this. It's a racially divisive thing to do. And they've been, been on CNN defending it. Well, you know, we just want to highlight that Glenn Youngkin, you know, uh, is supported by Donald Trump. It just looks stupid. It was never going to work. Uh, the McAuliffe campaign felt compelled to denounce it. But you know who hasn't denounced it? The mainstream media. Mainstream media have largely ignored it. Uh, when they've reported it, it's been, oh, this happened, isn't it interesting? The Washington Post, for which this is a local race, you know, buried the story, no criticism. Now, just imagine if some pro-Trump Republicans had done something like this. I mean, it would have been front-page news, like, every day. And it just vanished without a trace. It was a half-day story. Uh, not, obviously, in certain uh, conservative media circles. But it just seemed to me to be so flippin' stupid and almost amateurish, and I don't get it. All right, in other news, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said yesterday she has tested positive for COVID-19, despite the fact that she is vaccinated. Uh, that's a loss for the White House because she's going to have to quarantine. She said in her statement that uh, in coordination with White House leadership and medical team. Uh, I made the decision not to travel on the foreign trip, so she could have been, you know, with reporters and with White House staff over in Europe um, due to a family emergency, which was members of my household testing positive for COVID-19. Since then, I have quarantined and tested negative. However, today, after a series of negative tests, I tested positive for covid well, I have not had close contact in person with the president or senior members of the White House staff since Wednesday. Uh, I am disclosing today's test, positive test, out of an abundance of transparency. She says the last time she saw the president was on Tuesday when we sat outside more than six feet apart and wore masks. Thanks to the vaccine, I've only experienced mild symptoms. So she says she's working from home. But it, what this means is she can't go to the White House for the next whatever the period of time is, probably about 10 days, and do the briefings and talk to reporters. I mean, there wouldn't be any briefings until after the climate summit. Um, and that's too bad. I mean, there's been a lot of high-profile cases. You know, Neil Cavuto on Fox I've talked about. Um, people who work in the White House, the Homeland Security Secretary, uh, coming down with COVID despite being vaccinated. And, and the thing here is nobody ever said that getting these vaccines would mean you would never, ever, ever get it. It greatly reduces your chances of getting the vaccine, of getting the virus. But if you do get it, the case is mild. You don't go to the hospital and you're not in any danger of dying. And that's the great miracle 
of these vaccines. Um, now the FDA has approved vaccines, I guess the Pfizer vaccine for kids 5 to 11. A lot of parents have to make a decision there. And the booster shots have been approved for people in certain groups. Uh, I have more to say in mere moments on the question of COVID, but I do want to get to the Alec Baldwin situation because, you know, it is such a heartbreaking tragedy what happened. And there's just enormous uh, public interest in this. And we did this on the show yesterday. And late yesterday, Alec Baldwin, for the first time, came out and spoke on camera to a bunch of photographers who had been staking him out. And his wife, Hilaria, kept trying to like get in the shot and said, no, no, don't answer that. And he says, no. And he would push her to the side and say, no, I've got to speak about this. And you could just tell from watching him that this is a guy who had been through hell. I'm not letting him completely off the hook for the horrible shooting accident that took the life of his 42-year-old cinematographer, uh, Helena Hutchins. It's an absolute tragedy. Uh, so, of course, there, you know, any comment on the investigation, Alex? And, and Baldwin says it's an active investigation. I've been told not to comment. I've been ordered not to comment. A woman died. She was my friend. She was my friend, he said. And he said, look, there's been a history of incidental accidents on film sets from time to time, but nothing like this. This is a one in a trillion episode. And since then, actually, I think this has just come out uh, in today's papers, it turns out there were three other accidental discharges on the set of this film, Rust, this Western, of which Baldwin is a producer. So this, I hate to say this, but this was an accident waiting to happen. The assistant director had been fired from a movie two years ago for over accidental gun discharges. But once there were these earlier discharges on this very movie, how did they not take more precautions? Now, the debate here is... You know, Baldwin said when he talked to these, these photogs, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I'm an actor. Somebody hands me a gun and it's supposed to have been checked. They say cold gun, supposed to not have ammo. I mean, I think this is going to lead to widespread changes in how any movie with any gun violence or portrayal of gun violence, how those guns are going to be treated. Now, um, some people are saying, first of all, the enormous amount of coverage. I'm seeing a lot of attacks now on Alec Baldwin. He should have known. He was a producer. And I'm not saying he should be off limits. I'm not saying that. But it's certainly getting like far more attention than all the uh, everyday urban violence that happens, especially on weekends in major cities in America. Um, obviously, he is distraught and didn't mean to do this, just as obviously safety procedures were not what they should have been. Um, and he's Alec Baldwin. And, you know, he's a very controversial, very liberal celebrity guy who played Trump on SNL. And so it's getting a huge amount of attention. Speaking of the president's uh, trip overseas, you know, he met with Pope Francis and they spoke for about 90 minutes. Well, Biden talked about this at a presser yesterday. And he called the Pope genuine, honorable, decent man. And he went into some length and with some emotion saying that the Pope provided great solace for my family after uh, his oldest son, Bo Biden, died of brain cancer in 2015. Biden was VP at the time. He was kind of choking up, and, and the president said, I lost a real, the real part of my soul when I lost my Bo, my son. And that when the Pope came to the U.S. a few months later, he spent time with Biden and his extended family. Uh, and Biden says he didn't just talk generically about him. He knew about him. He knew what he did. He knew who he was. He knew where he went to school. He knew what a man he was. It had such a cathartic impact on his children and my wife and our family that it meant a great deal. And I think that's fabulous. But it is striking to me, 
I think now that Biden is president, you know, we all knew because it was a significant factor in his deciding not to run in 2016, you know, how close Joe Biden was to Bo Biden, uh, the former uh, Delaware attorney general and former uh, guy who, uh, you know, went off to is it Afghanistan or Iraq. I'm sorry, I forgot, but served in the military. Um, but I think, you know, here it is six years later, and he talks about it a lot. Sometimes people think he talks about it too much. Obviously, Biden's had a fair amount of tragedy in his life. And I just think, you know, it's part of who he is today as president, and that's why he choked up when he talked about um, the Pope's, how the Pope's words helped him heal. And when Biden meets with families who have suffered a loss, he tries to do that as well. It's part of who he is, but... You know, I think Bo Biden is very much on his mic. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. By the way, this big uh, Build Back Better bill, the one that they couldn't pass again last week, and maybe they'll try to pass again tomorrow or this week or who knows when, Thanksgiving or next year or 10 years from now. ABC News poll is fascinating. Uh, 55% of the public is following news about the negotiations, at least somewhat closely, but 7 in 10 Americans in this survey said they know just some or little to nothing about what's in that bill and the infrastructure bill. Fewer than half, 31%, said they know a great deal or a good amount. Uh, plurality, 32% of Americans in this uh, ABC survey, thinks the bills would hurt people like them if they became law, while 25% think it would help them. Another 18% said it would make no difference. That's pretty bad. And it says a lot of things. First of all, it says people don't know what's in these bills. I mean, you know, they may know this climate or this child tax credit. They don't know the details. And however much you might want to criticize the media for being more consumed by the politics than the substance, it's a complete and total failure by the administration because there was such a focus on the politics of it and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and AOC and um, the progressives in the House and was it going to be three and a half trillion? Is it going to be two trillion? Is it now going to be 1.75 trillion? That they did, the messaging was just all over the map. Um, the fact that um, a lot of people don't think it's going to help them, I think betrays a certain skepticism toward Washington or the idea that, well, if there's things in the bill that would help, it will help somebody else other than me. It will help people don't make as much money as me. People don't work as hard as me. I think there is that mindset. Even among Democrats in this poll, this is really something. Fewer than half, 47%, think the two bills would help people like them. A quarter of Dems think the bill would make no difference for people like them. Now, you turn to the GOP, nearly two-thirds of Republicans think the bills would hurt people like them, uh, as do about 3 in 10 independents. So, I want to come back now to COVID-19 because uh, two stories that really strike me, one about the substance, one about the politics. And by the way, we've kind of leveled out from the Delta surge at about uh, 70,000 or so new cases a day. That's not great. It's a lot better than it was at the peak, which at this peak of this particular surge, which was about 165,000. And about 1,400 Americans are dying every day of COVID-19. Um, obviously, many of those are unvaccinated. Uh, and just as obviously many of them may, may have other, you know, like Colin Powell or uh, others may have comorbidities. In other words, they have other health problems which are exacerbated by getting the coronavirus. So the Washington Post has a piece this morning. The pandemic isn't over, but new cases nationally have dropped below 75,000, less than half the number in August. The U.S. will soon reopen land borders to vaccinated visitors. 
lifts some international travel restrictions. Uh, more than 2 million people boarded flights on Sunday, not far from the pre-pandemic travel. Unless you had a ticket on American, which had to cancel what? I don't know, 1,500 or 2,000 flights. First it was Southwest, now American. And this is just bizarre. I know there are staffing shortages and weather, but it's just making a mess of the air travel system. Um, kids now eligible for the vaccine back in school. There has not been a surge of uh, virus infections in school. Of course, older kids uh, in many schools in America have to wear masks. Um, the holidays are coming, so, you know, it could come back. Um, but here's the thing. And I, there were a fair number of trick-or-treaters out in my neighborhood yesterday, not as many as before the pandemic. But they were there wearing their various costumes, and I gave out a lot of candy, ended up with a lot of excess candy. Um, but the, the Washington Post says quite flatly, a pandemic appears to be winding down in the United States in a thousand subtle ways, without any big milestone or symbol-crashing announcement of freedom from the virus. Uh, epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins says, it doesn't end, we just stop caring, or we care a lot less. I think for most people, it just fades into the background of their lives. And that may be right. Um, and the, the piece has all the caveats. There could still be a winter surge because more people will be inside. Um, and that could well happen. Um, and in the cold weather states, particularly in the Mountain West, there's been a rise in cases recently. So, you know, every state is different. Every region of the country is different. But basically, this is saying we may be learning to live with COVID like we live with the flu and will not be this sort of constant sense of crisis. Couple that with this piece in Politico that says, COVID defined the political landscape for 18 months, lifting Joe Biden to the White House, true, and commanding the near singular attention of the electorate, but its political shelf life may be coming to an end. Um, and you know, again, third paragraph, pandemic is nowhere near over, but COVID is fading as an issue that animates voters in the opinion of Politico. It's evident from recent polls in the New Jersey and Virginia elections, where, you know, things that we used to worry about more before the pandemic, taxes, the economy, schools, book controversies, now rank at the top as the top voter priorities, and that maybe this won't be a huge deal in 2022. Look, if it fades to the point where it's just a kind of background noise issue, and people are still getting it, but it's not this constant sense of crisis, and we're not having this constant debate about vaccines. And by the way, the fact that we are at this point has to be credited to the vaccines. And I know there are very mixed and emotional opinions about vaccine mandates, but that has to be Obviously, people are being forced to get it in places like New York City and elsewhere, federal government. It has helped protect more people from at least the more virulent forms of the virus. So if that happens, I think the Biden administration can take some credit. You know, Joe Biden can go out in 2022 and said, you know, we helped beat this thing. The problem is elections are always decided on future issues. And people have short memories. And if you can start going into stores and going into public places, go to a concert or a ball game, you don't have to wear a mask. People kind of get used to that. It'll be, oh, yeah, COVID, that was very 2020 or 2021, as it may be. So the demise of the COVID-centric campaign is in part a natural reaction, says Politico, to improving conditions surrounding the pandemic. But the political fallout may be severe, especially for Democrats, who ran hard on the pandemic in 2020, capitalizing on public sentiment that largely favored their party's management of the crisis. As interest in COVID fades, Democrats may lose one of their most compelling, compelling campaign planks. 
And here's a Democratic strategist named Ben Tribbett who says, it takes away a great issue. He's in Virginia. Okay, I'm sure he didn't mean to come off as like, I don't really care uh, whether we save lives or not because it was a great issue. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people were dying, but it was a great issue for Democrats. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but that's how the quote comes off. Uh, And look, Democrats did politically capitalize on this. They ran against Trump's management of the pandemic. But how about we unify as a country and say it would be a great thing if it didn't have to be the top political issue or the second top political issue or the third top political issue because it had reached a manageable point. There comes a point where maybe you just put politics aside. Uh, Meanwhile, speaking of getting sick, uh, Ross Douthat, a moderately conservative columnist in the New York Times, who I think is a really smart writer, and I have quoted on this podcast numerous times. He has a book coming out, and he talks about, I had no idea of any of this, how he got chronically ill after moving to Connecticut, and there were different diagnoses from different doctors. Uh, Might have been related to Lyme disease, might have not been related to Lyme disease. He says back in 2015, um, he had a sudden descent into insomnia, disintegration, and blazing pain. Um, He, um, it was not and he encountered a medical system that offers answers that the patients bullheadedly reject, but a system full of well-meaning doctors who offer you exactly nothing, no diagnosis whatsoever. A lot of murmurs about stress and mystery when the blood tests come back negative. Maybe you should just wait. Maybe the pain will somehow go away. As a suffering person, then, you have to choose which form of science to believe in. In my case, that meant choosing between two doctors I saw early in my odyssey in New York, um, One said, probably Lyme disease, I fit, my symptoms fit. Another one said, uh, let's see here, that this was uh, a very different kind of disease. He asked me a thousand questions. He said, chronic Lyme was an epidemic, wildly underdiagnosed, totally mistreated. Uh, I was obviously very sick, it would take a while. And he lived with this for a while. Anyway, Dalvin winds up saying that he basically ended up treating himself, making his own medical decisions because he didn't know who to believe because the doctors either had nothing for him or um, conflicting accounts of what he should do. And that's kind of terribly frustrating. I mean, when you're perfectly healthy one day and you've got this debilitating disease the next day that goes on and on and on, you can't figure out what to do. And so I don't know that he intended it this way, but he's gotten a lot of criticism for what he wrote about this. Because it seems like he's saying he's applying this to the coronavirus. And, you know, we can't trust the medical establishment. You shouldn't necessarily get vaccinated. He, does, he goes out of his way to say he's not saying that, but that's how his conclusion about self-medication or deciding, your own, making your own medical decisions. Look, ultimately, everybody makes their own medical decisions. Doctors are experts. You can choose to believe them or not believe them. If you can't get a straight answer or you get conflicting advice, what do you do? It's a horrible situation. I'm glad he seems to be healthier now. A couple of things before we sign off here. Adam Kinzinger, Republican congressman who voted for impeachment, been a big Trump critic, uh, now says he will not run for his seat again next year. And on um, ABC's This Week, he said yesterday that he, Liz Cheney, a few others, are the only House Republicans telling the truth. He says you can fight to try to tell the truth or you can fight against the cancer in the Republican Party of lies, of conspiracy, of dishonesty. Okay, but there's another side to this, which is he probably couldn't have won renom- could not have won renomination because when you lose the Trump backing or the Trump wing, you're in a very tough spot. So look, I you know credit him with standing up for what he believes, but you know he's casting this as a morality play. He's not going to run again. 
I mean, he would probably lose. He says this is not the um, beginning of uh, end of his career. It's the beginning. Uh, he says, look, what if I ran and won? I go back. Republicans will probably be in the majority. I'm going to be fighting even harder on these things. And it's been obvious over the last 10 months that nobody, I haven't seen any momentum in the party, move away from lies and toward truth. Uh, finally, Connor Friedersdorf has a piece in The Atlantic saying in 2024, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, uh, may not be the president that never Trumpers would choose. In other words, people who are lifelong Republicans but don't like Donald Trump. He's too Trumpy for their taste, but their options are limited. And if beating Trump is their highest priority, DeSantis may be their best bet. Now, Friedersdorf, who's, he says he's an independent, he's kind of on the liberal side, says, you look, DeSantis frustrates me and disappoints me with, within normal parameters. He hasn't yet frightened me, as Trump does as being superlatively incompetent, divisive, morally degenerate, or authoritarian. Okay, we'll put him down in the I don't like Trump category, which if you read his writing, you already do that. DeSantis may not be the president that never Trumpers um, want, but he's a plausibly acceptable candidate, says this piece, for anti-Trump conservatives, in part because winning narrowly in a purple state has all but forced him to moderate his populism. He's pursued substantive initiatives, such as expanding access to monoclonal antibodies and attracting successful businesses with a friendly regulatory climate that appeal to moderates and traditional conservatives. Look, a viable Trump primary rival, says Friedersdorf, isn't going to be the Republican that Bill Kristol or uh, Jonah Goldberg or an uh, independent like me would like to elevate. But in other words, you got to take what you can get if you're a Republican, unless you're going to completely abandon the Republican Party. He says DeSantis has threaded the, the needle more deftly than most other Republican contenders. That, you know, he, that he essentially says that he has talked a good game when it comes to being tough on vaccine mandates and populism and school choice and, and that sort of thing. But when it comes to actually carrying it out, he pulls his punches so that therefore paraphrasing him, his bark is worse than his bite. I just think it's an interesting piece because Ron DeSantis gets so much um, in the way of attacks from the liberal-leaning media uh, because he is a friend of Donald Trump. Now, if Donald Trump runs, would Ron DeSantis run? I don't know that that's the case at all. Uh, so there are all these unknowns. And maybe the unknowns will start to be filled in when we see what happens in Virginia tomorrow. I'm not so sure. I, I do think that some Democrats who are more moderate Democrats who are on the fence about the big $2 trillion build back Biden bill um, may pull back if Terry McAuliffe goes down in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, which is a definite possibility. But I don't know that it's just completely and totally changes the midterms or completely and totally changes this session of Congress. Uh, nevertheless, the election has been nationalized. And what, you know what, it doesn't matter because the pundits are all going to say they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And, you know, the media environment will affect what some of these members of Congress do. And with that, I will sign off. I would love if you would subscribe to our podcast at Apple iTunes or many other places, wherever you like to get your podcast. Get it delivered to your inbox every day. And I'll see you all tomorrow with more buzzing. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.